0: Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. We're going to be in Genesis this week, next week, and then we're going to take a brief break, look at some of the great conversion stories in the New Testament. It's going to be an exciting series. Don't forget September 26th. That's a Saturday. We're going to have a 24 hours of prayer time right here at the church. You're going to be able to sign up online to come here. If you can't come to church, you can always pray at home, but we're going to pray that God will move in our hearts, in our lives, that God would move in our homes, in our church, and in our nation. We desperately need the Lord today, and so we're going to be a people of prayer and seek the Lord's face, and, and then we're going to enter into a time of being challenged to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those in, uh, in our sphere of influence. But this morning we turn our attention to Genesis 26. As you're finding your place there, I do want to welcome the venue service joining us right down the hall. And also uh, Reach Church DeSoto. Reach Church this morning is going to have a baptism after 11 o'clock service. Guess how they do baptism? They take a horse trough and put it right out there in front of the church. Right there on Main Street. And everybody gets to see. Isn't that exciting? We're going to celebrate with Reach Church and their opportunity to... Participate in the ordinance of baptism this morning, but Genesis twenty-six. You know, I, I get a chance to do a good bit of funerals, and oftentimes you you do these funerals, and and there's no media coverage. There there there's no press there, and oftentimes there's sadly not even a very big crowd. And 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 in the world's eyes, you look at these individuals, and you think they they they're just ordinary. But so often I'm grieved because I know in God's eyes these people are great. In the world's eyes ordinary, in God's eyes great. You know why they're great? Because they were faithful. They were faithful as as husbands and wives, faithful as moms and dads, faithful in their job, faithful oftentimes in their service to their country. But most importantly, they were faithful to Jesus Christ. And it always reminds me, and it's a good reminder for all of us, that what God desires for us is not to be famous. God desires to be faithful. And the reality is, for most of us, nobody's going to write a biography about us after we die. Nobody's going to make a movie about us after we die. But that's okay, because that's not the goal. The goal is in the time that God gives us, in the place that he puts us, that we were faithful to what he called us to do. And this morning as we look at Isaac's life, the fact of the matter is he doesn't get a whole lot of press. He doesn't get a whole lot of coverage. He doesn't get the coverage that Abraham gets or, or Jacob gets or, or Joseph gets. He really just gets one chapter dedicated to him. And he does his, have his flaws. And we pointed out some of those last week and we'll see them again next week. But what we see this week in chapter 26 is what makes this man great. And the reason that we'll eventually find him in the hall of faith is that in the little things, the ordinary things, he demonstrated an extraordinary faithfulness. And this is what we should all strive for. And so I pray this morning as we look at this man's life, we we walk through this chapter, we'll see what a life of faithfulness should look like. Let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this passage. God, we, we come to your word this morning. We're so grateful that you recorded the life of Isaac. And God, you're you're helping us to understand through his life what it means to live an ordinary life of extraordinary faithfulness. So God, teach us, and instruct us, remind us of what should be the goal of our life. God, whatever dreams, whatever plans we have for our lives, I pray that at the top of the list is a desire to be faithful to you. So God, help us to understand what that looks like and help us to align our lives with you so that one day we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So what does a life of faithfulness look like? At least four things we're gonna see here in the life of Isaac. The first is just simple trust. We're gonna see it in verses one through six. Simple trust in the perfect will of God. Look at verses one through six. It says, now there was a famine in the land "'Besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham, "'so Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. "'And the Lord appeared to him and said, "'Do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land which I shall tell you. "'Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with you and bless you. "'For to you and to your descendants I'll give all these lands, "'and I'll establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. "'And I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, "'and I'll give your descendants all these lands, "'and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed.'" Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So here we see Isaac's gonna face a similar test, just like Abraham did. It's a test with famine, just meeting the daily needs. Of his life, and and I must confess that as I initially studied this, I was a little hard on Isaac for leaving and going somewhere else. But but quite frankly, I've, as I've tried to put myself in Isaac's shoes, I'm not so sure I wouldn't have done the exact same thing, and I would imagine you'd have done the same thing. You got to realize he doesn't have just some small family at this point. He's got probably thousands of people that he's responsible for, and and there's a lack of food and water. And so what is this man going to try to do? He's going to try to get food and water for his family, probably the exact exact same thing we would have done. So he's going to leave Israel he's going to go to a place called Egypt where they had this big river called the the Nile that, that always allowed them to flourish to some extent. So he's just leading his family, trying to do the right thing by means of his family. And then as he's on his way, God stops him and God comes to him and says, I want you to stay right here. This is where I want you to be. In this land of Gerar, there was nothing special about it, probably not where Uh, Isaac wanted to settle down, but God comes to him and says, I want you to stay right here. And at this moment, Isaac has a choice. The choice for Isaac is, will I trust the the perfect wisdom and plan of God, or am I going to trust my own plan? And we've seen this. All these things that I'm going to share with you this morning, they're obvious. You probably know them. But what we're seeing over and over and again in, in God's word is that God is simply looking for a people who will trust him. And when he says to go, they go. When he says stay, they stay. And God tells Isaac, this is what your dad did. Abraham obeyed in verse 5. He says, your dad obeyed me even when he didn't understand it and always took care of him. And he's encouraging Isaac, if you'll obey me, I'll trust you or I'll take care of you. And Isaac can't live off daddy's faith. He's going to have to make it his own. And so the question for him is, will he trust God? This is really Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I love that passage. We probably all know it. It's encouraging us, trusting God rather than your own understanding, rather than your own plan. And what is the promise? I'll make your path straight. Now, a straight path doesn't mean that occasionally it's not going like this. It means it's a purposeful path, that God has a plan. And you and your life, me and my life, Isaac and his life had to make a decision. Am I going to trust the infinite wisdom of God and his plan, or am I going to trust my little thimble full of knowledge and think I know better than he does? You know, as I was saying this, I couldn't help but be reminded when I was finishing up seminary in Fort Worth, um, I began to look for a ministerial position, as most seminary graduates do. And, and every door that I looked down, every job opportunity I applied for, the Lord just closed those doors. It was... Uh, <laughs> I guess not many churches looking for a 25-year-old guy with zero ministerial experience. But God closed those doors. and But God did open up another door. There was a door of opportunity that opened to me to work at Xerox as a salesman, to sell copiers. I'm just going to tell you, when I started out seminary, I didn't say, God, boy, I really want to sell copiers for a living. That's where I'm hoping to go. But God closed doors, and God opened up a door for me to work in sales. And listen, while I didn't understand at the time, and I'll tell you, there was a lot of days it wasn't where I wanted to be. God used it in a profound way to provide for me in faith as we were about to get married. And God taught me some powerful lessons. There were some things that that being a salesman taught me that seminary never could, about how to deal with people and how to work out problems. And to this day, there's rarely a week that goes by that I don't rely upon some of those lessons I learned as God put me in a land that I didn't really want to be, but he had a perfect plan for me, and that's where he asked me to go. You know, when we were in Valley, Alabama, and we were at a church, I remember we loved that church. We had no desire to go anywhere. I was doing ministry with two of my best friends. We were seeing God move, people coming to faith in Christ. The church was in a great place. We had no desire to move. And God opened a door, and me and Faith had to pray. And I'm not saying me and Faith have always done this perfectly, but I will tell you, me and Faith from the very beginning said, God, here's our life. We'll go wherever you want us to go. It's not about our agenda. We just want to live for you. You talk about an amazing adventure. Everybody's looking for adventure today. You want an amazing adventure in your life, try just following Jesus. There's no telling where he'll lead you. But you're always going to be faced with this choice. Am I going to trust my will, or am I going to trust my plan, or am I going to trust God's plan? God's plan is always uh, perfect. And wherever God has placed you, can I tell you today, bloom where you're planted. Be faithful where God has placed you. You know, I think so many times we go to a place and we're always thinking about what's coming next and what we're going to do further down the road... And nothing wrong with having dreams and nothing wrong with being uh, making some plans. But what God requires is us, of us is just to be faithful where he's placed us and then trust him to take care of the details. And that's what Isaac's going to have to do. I don't know how God's going to provide for me in this place of Gerar, but what I do know, he's placed me here, and I'm just going to seek to be faithful right where he's placed me, and then I'm going to trust him with the details. And, and I see this uh, in the life of David David in his life amazing picture everybody wants to talk about the battle of David and Goliath but what what preceded that battle that, that to me is amazing you remember this is a guy who's anointed king and what is the next thing he does he goes back just ten sheep he's faithful as a shepherd when he leaves the sheep to go take meals to his brothers, he makes sure there's somebody there to take care of those sheep. He's faithful to the sheep. He's faithful to his dad. When he goes to take, goes to that battle, he's not even going seeking a battle. He's running a meals on wheels program. He's just taking meals to his brothers. He's just seeking to be a faithful brother. And it's a powerful lesson to me that I've always saw in my life that the, the, the message God was sending to David, the message that David lived out is I will be who God wants me to be when he wants me to be it. David wasn't ambitious. He was faithful. And I want to be careful. Nothing wrong with having some ambition about you and some things you want to accomplish. But I'll tell you the number one goal for your life should not be ambition. It should be faithfulness. And what I see throughout Scripture is the great men and women of God are those who God could trust with the little things, that they would obey him and trust him, and he made them responsible over much. But what a powerful lesson we get here with Isaac. You stay here, and Isaac's going to stay right there, and he's going to seek to be faithful. But guess what happens next? He's going to have a little bit of a trouble. Look at verses uh, 7 through 11. It says, when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she's beautiful. And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, uh, I might die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And here you see uh, Isaac falling into some of the same sins of his daddy. Isn't it funny how sometimes we begin to see in our children, not just our hair color and our eye color. we, We tend to sometimes see some of our sins start to show up in their life as well. And so here is Isaac. Same thing happens. He gets a little scared, fearful. He's going to lie about his wife, Rebecca, try to to pass her off as his sister. And then eventually Abimelech sees what? He sees Isaac kissing on his sister. (laughs) And he realizes she ain't your sister. And he calls out Isaac in a public way. It's a powerful picture we saw in Abraham. We're seeing it again in Isaac and God's not gonna let Isaac get away with this. When he, when he seeks the pastor off his sister, he gets caught and he's humiliated in a public way. Abimelech brings him out and says, What in the world have you done to us? You're supposed to be this man of God. And now you're lying and you put us in a bad spot. How embarrassing. You've got the pagan lecturing the, the man of God on morality and integrity. And Isaac gets embarrassed and what we're seeing God do. He did it in Abraham's life twice, and now at the beginning right here, he's doing it in Isaac's life as well. And what is God teaching Isaac, and what is God teaching us? He's teaching us that truthfulness and integrity and character are critical to our ability to witness for God in this world. What he's teaching us, in fact, is that Isaac, truthfulness and integrity is more important than your own personal survival. It's more important than your life. That if you're going to be a patriarch and you're going to lead my people, you got to be a man of character and you got to be a man of integrity. That your beliefs have to match up with your behavior. You know, I heard a story once of a pastor, he... um, he was on his way home, had a long day. He, they were going to have a birthday party for his, his daughter that evening, and he was on his way home, and he had stopped off at a mall to get a CD. That's back when you bought CDs, and so he stopped off at the mall to buy a CD for her birthday, and he, it was a crowded store, and he waited in a long line, purchased the CD, had gone out to his car, gotten into his car, and... Um, he quickly realized as he was putting things in the seat next to him that that the cashier the clerk had given him too much change and so right there he's kind of got a decision do I just go on and forget it or do I go back in and he just said I couldn't go on I had to go back and so he went back in the store the line's long he's realizing I'm probably going to be late for the the birthday party at this point but he says I got to do this he goes and gets to the end of the line and gets there before the clerk and he says ma'am I just want to let you know you made a mistake and You gave me too much change, and I didn't want you to have to pay for it at the end of the day, so I want to make this right. And she looked back at him and said, sir, there's no mistake. See, this past Sunday, I was prompted by God to go to church for the first time in a long time. And I opened up the yellow pages, and I found your church, and I sat on the very back row. And guess what you preached on? Integrity. And I just wanted to find out if you practiced what you preach. Now, I'm not saying that's the right way to go about things. But it did leave a mark on that pastor's life. That God desires truth in the innermost being. And if we're going to be a witness for him in this world, we've got to be men and women of character. We've got to be men and women of integrity. See, the fact of the matter is, before a person believes in Jesus, oftentimes they're going to believe in a human being that before they believe in your message of hope and salvation, they got to believe in you. And you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're telling people about the gospel and you're saying, you got to believe in this Jesus who will change your life. Now, don't look at my life because my life's a mess. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. But I'll tell you, Jesus can change your life. It doesn't work real well. We can't peddle unapplied truth. It's a lesson that Isaac's going to have to learn. It's a lesson that we need to learn God help us to be men and women of character and integrity. It's simple character and integrity that define a man or woman of faithfulness. And look at how God responds in verses 12 through 14. This is amazing to me. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. You know what's amazing about this? How does God respond? Isaac goofed up in a big way, and what does God do? God blesses him. Is that what you would have done? No, you would have whipped him just like I would have done. But folks, isn't this amazing? Because I can imagine you've experienced this in your life too. When you have goofed and when you have messed up, sometimes God just continues to be gracious and merciful. And I want you to hear this this morning, that oftentimes God's grace and mercy is not him condoning our sin, but it's his grace and his mercy that leads us to repentance. Don't ever mistake God's continued grace and mercy in your life for condoning your sin. Let his grace and his mercy force you to your knees with a repented heart and ask for forgiveness so that you can move forward in faithfulness. So God continues to bless. And God blesses him a, a hundredfold. And then what do we see next? We see... That our faithfulness to God has to be lived out in the midst of an evil world. And so look at verses 15 through 17. It says, Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of uh, Abraham, his father, the Philistines, stopped up by filling them with earth. And then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you're too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. This is interesting. The Philistines, they, they... Apparently he ate him and his family, and they began to kick dirt in the wells that his father Abraham had dug. And you got to remember, if you remember back to Genesis 21, that Abraham had made a covenant with Abimelech that these wells were his. And dad Abraham had passed them down to Isaac. And now the Philistines, they don't like these people. They don't like Isaac and his family. And they started filling in those wells. And then the Philistines say, you get out of here. Now, my question to you is, what would you have done? you got to remember, Isaac's got a big group of people now. He's gotten some fighting men on his side. And we're going to find out a little later that Abimelech is, in fact, afraid of Isaac and his family and the people of Israel. Now, what would you have done if somebody started kicking dirt in your daddy's wells that he dug? I don't know about you, but I might have gone a little John Wayne on them. You just picked a fight with the wrong guy. How dare you mess with my daddy's wells? I'll meet you out back, and I'm bringing some folks with me. But look at what Isaac does. This is amazing to me. Verses 18 and following. It says, then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna, and he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. In the face of his personal rights being ripped to shreds and treated so poorly, Isaac demonstrates another quality that's so critical to our faithfulness, and it's this quality of humility. Bimelech kicks him out, Isaac goes to dig a well, the Philistines make a fuss, and what does Isaac do? He just goes on down the road, goes to another well, starts to dig, same thing happens, and if you're like me, you're shouting at Isaac, Isaac, what are you doing? Whip those guys. Take what is yours. You are the leader of God's people, the nation of Israel. And yet, Isaac's response is the exact opposite of what the world would tell us to do. This is absolutely contrary to the world tells us to do. The world tells us might makes right. The world tells us you look out for number one. The world tells us nice guys finish last. Folks, can I tell you this morning, that is a lie of Satan. Did Jesus say, blessed are those who punch their persecutors in the nose? For they inherit the earth. No, what did he say? Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Meaning as God's people, we're not always going around looking for a fight. And boy, do we need to hear this today. I don't know about you, but with everything that's going on in our culture, it seems like everybody's on edge. Sure seems like everybody's mad. And if you're not careful, you poke somebody just the wrong way, and they'll snap at you and go all crazy, and then you got a choice. Am I going to come to cups and call, cause a scene right here, or am I going to turn the other cheek and walk away? You know, we need to have about us some Holy Spirit-inspired common sense to know that there's some hills not worth fighting over. I mean, you say, well, well Pastor, when do we fight? And that's a really good question, because there are times when we're to stand up. Jesus didn't call us to be pacifists. But how do we know when that day comes and when to walk away like Isaac did and just go down the road and dig another well and then go down the road again? How do we know? And here's what I see. All I can tell you is what I see in the life of Paul in the New Testament when you get over to the book of Acts. Paul gives us a really good litmus test for when we should fight and when we should back down. Paul was a Roman citizen. He had a lot of rights, personal rights, just like Isaac had rights to those wells. Paul had rights. When did he pull the Roman citizen card? Whenever it dealt with Paul's own personal rights, he never pulled the Roman card. But whenever it dealt with issues of the gospel, he said, that's as far as I go. Listen to me. When it deals with our own personal rights, we lay those things down. When it deals with our own personal preferences, we lay those deals down. But when it becomes an issue of the gospel, then we say, that's far enough. That's not always cut and dry. But I will tell you this, in this day and age, I pray that the people of Lenexa Baptist Church are not a people who are known for always quarreling and always fighting and looking for opportunities to pick a fight with somebody, but we're known as peacemakers. And we're known as meek. Meek doesn't mean you don't have any power. It means power under control. A people of restraint. Restraint and self-control. Well, if you're going to be faithful in this world today, you better learn humility, that it's not always about you. When it's your personal rights, we'll let it go. They can call me names all they want. When it comes to the issue of the gospel and Jesus Christ my Savior, that's where i got to draw the line. Humility, a key to faithfulness. And then finally, let's look forward... In fact, in fact, look at how God responds to this in verses uh, 20, 23 and following. It says, Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of your, God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. And how, what a blessing to hear that. I know that they're, they're, they're messing with you, they're quarreling with you, but I'm with you. What does the Bible say? God says, Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is never your job. It's not your responsibility. You let God be God. You be faithful. You let God be your defender. God comes to Isaac, says, I'm with you, and I'll bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called uh, called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. You know what God says in light of him walking away and digging another well, and then God eventually providing room and providing a well? God is saying, way to go, Isaac. I love it. When you demonstrate restraint and self-control, meekness and humility, that's what I love. Well, then look on in verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Ahuzeth, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. That you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Isn't this amazing? All of a sudden they see God's hand. And and by the way, why do they see God's hand upon Isaac's life? Is it because he bowed up to him and showed him his mighty military? No, they see God's hand upon him because they're trying to provoke him at every angle. And he just keeps walking forward in faithfulness. They say, we can't phase this guy. That's supernatural. Is it supernatural when somebody kicks us or tries to start a fight with us and we walk away? Is it supernatural when we turn around and punch him in the nose? No, that's natural. What's supernatural is to walk away and say, I'm going to let God protect me, and I'm going to be a man of faithfulness and character. And these people see how Isaac responds. They say, God's a hand on this man, and we better make friends with him really quick. It reminded me of the story of Spurgeon. He was seeking to buy a piece of land off a businessman, a local businessman. And the, the businessman went to to one of his friends and said, Hey, Spurgeon's trying to buy this piece of land off me. What should I do? And the friend told him, Listen, you better sell it to him quick or God's going to make you give it to him. In other words, don't mess with the man because God's got his hand on that man's life. Here's this Philistine king and he's saying we better not mess with this man god's got his hand on his life we better make friends with him quick now here's the deal what would you do what would you do folks this is a guy who has treated you like dirt not only treated you like dirt he treated your dad like dirt and now he's coming over and saying let's let's just have let's just be friends I'm just, in all this stuff i trying to put myself in Isaac's shoes. I'd have said, get out of here. No way. I don't want anything to do with you. But guess what Isaac does? Look at what it says in verse 30. Then he made, a, made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and departed from from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and they told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So Isaac, in essence, what he does here is he just extends a hand of forgiveness. To a group of people who have wronged him in an extreme way. And by the way, did, did Abimelech and his men, did they demonstrate any repentance? Did the king come in and say, hey, Isaac, we're so sorry for how we treated you. We feel so bad about it, we want to repent of it, and then we want to be friends, and we want, to, well, we want to make this oath with you. No, they didn't demonstrate any forgiveness. And yet Isaac is going to demonstrate forgiveness to them. Because, folks, biblical forgiveness isn't dependent upon the repentance of the person who's offended you. Biblical repentance is dependent upon the fact that you've been forgiven by God. Why in the world would Isaac forgive these men? Because Isaac knows what it it means to be forgiven by God when you've messed up. And so Isaac is going to forgive. And you know what's amazing As you read this right there at the end. Verse 32, now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug. And said to him, we found water. It's amazing, Isaac enters into this agreement, he forgives them, he says, let's, have, let's, let's eat, we're going to be good. And the minute he forgives and he sends them out one door, he gets a knock on the back door, and guess what it is? Hey, Isaac, we want you to let, let you know we just found water. I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's God's way of telling Isaac, way to go. You've represented me well, and now I'm going to unleash the blessing Listen to me, a life of faithfulness requires us to forgive those who have hurt us. If there's one thing I've seen in my short time of ministry, it's that the most difficult sin to overcome, the most difficult sin to overcome is a root of bitterness. And a root of bitterness is a result of a lack of forgiveness in your heart. I'm here to tell you today, I don't know who's wronged you. I don't know who's hurt you. I don't know what situation you find yourself in. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand what, what, what's happening. You don't know what I've been through. I may not know. You're right. But here's what I do know. If you withhold forgiveness, it'll become a root of bitterness, and it will drag you down and become a burden that will prevent God from really extending his life of blessing to you today. To know the real joy and the real peace and the abundant life that Christ came to give you, you've got to be willing to forgive those who have hurt you. Do you see what we're looking at here? Let me just give you a litmus test as we close. Faithfulness. Number one, are you trusting God right where he's placed you? Are you being faithful today with right where God has planted you? Are you trusting your own wisdom or are you trusting him? Are you living a life of, of, of truthfulness, of character and integrity today? If you want to be faithful, you've got to be a man or woman of character and integrity. Thirdly, are you living a life of humility? Is it all about you? Is your life filled with conflict? Listen, we all know people in our life, we don't even like being around them because they're always looking to pick a fight. It's not who God's called us to be. We're to be peacemakers. We're to be meek. We're to be humble. It doesn't have to be about us. We don't get offended every time somebody says something that hurts our feelings. And finally, are you forgiving? And you know the one who perfectly fulfills all these things? His name is Jesus. He was the one who trusted in the Lord completely. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, always trusting the perfect will of God. He's the epitome, he's the ultimate example of character and integrity. He is perfect because he's God. His life completely, his beliefs completely matched his behavior. And he was humble. He gave up the glory of heaven and came to this earth. Why? Because it wasn't about him. It was about you. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. And guess what? Nobody forgives like Jesus. No matter what wrong you've done him, no matter how poorly you've treated him, he forgave me and he'll forgive you. See, the life of faithfulness begins by trusting in the one who is perfectly faithful to God and died on a cross for your sins, and his name is Jesus. Have you trusted him today? Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you again that you've recorded the life of Isaac for us to demonstrate to us today in this one chapter what a life of faithfulness looks like. And God, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know salvation through faith in Christ, I pray that they would know the life of faithfulness, a life of true success and, and biblical greatness begins by first placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation. God, I pray if there's anybody here that's never done that, today would be the day of salvation for them. They would trust in you with all their heart, not leaning upon their own good works, not leaning upon their own wisdom, but knowing today they have no hope apart from Jesus Christ who died on a cross for them. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would follow in so many ways in the example of Isaac that we would seek to be faithful trusting you in every aspect of our lives, seeking to live lives of character and integrity and humility and forgiveness that the life of Christ might be displayed in us. Forgive us and help us. And may your mercy and your grace and your kindness always lead us to repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.